0: Well, welcome church this morning, so good to see you. I want to give you a head start, if you would, in your copy of the scriptures to the book of Ruth. It's not too far along in the Old Testament, Um, you'll find it right after Joshua and Judges. In the book of Ruth, we're going to start in chapter one, so we're in our comeback series and sometimes um, our comeback is from some really tough stuff some tragedy. So I don't know if you ever heard the story or if you remember it from 2007 here in Michigan. There's a man named Benjamin Carpenter. At the time he was 21, he was bound with muscular dystrophy. And he was crossing a Michigan highway in his wheelchair in nearby Paw, Michigan. Is this starting to ring a bell here a little bit? He was from Kalamazoo, and um, what happened when he was crossing in his wheelchair is his wheelchair became stuck in a semi-trailer's grill, and it pushed him for miles before the unknowing driver was pulled over by police. And Carpenter escaped unharmed, saying, quote, it was quite a ride. So here's what was happening. Carpenter was attempting to cross when the light turned green and his wheelchair became hooked into the front grill of the semi-truck, which reached 50 miles an hour during the four-mile trip down Red Arrow Highway. Michigan State uh, Police Trooper Michael Sinke said um, that witnesses reported the whole event. Carpenter was taken to a hospital as a precaution. He had been secured to his wheelchair by a seatbelt, and witnesses reported the light turned green, and the truck just took off, never seeing the wheelchair in front of him or the fact that it had attached to his front grill, and when officers stopped the truck at a private business, Carpenter was in a calm state. This man spilled his soda pop, but he wasn't upset, said Sergeant Kathy Morton. If it were me, I would have done more than spilled my soda pop, folks. (laughs) Sinky said when he arrived at the scene, the man told him, yeah, I'm fine, I just went for a little ride. And when the truck finally stopped, the driver just couldn't believe officers until he stepped from his cab and saw for himself, and he had no idea, he was in such a state of shock. And just the way that he was uninjured is unbelievable, Sinky said. Obviously, someone was looking down over him. I couldn't go another hundred years in law enforcement and and even see something like that again. Man in a wheelchair hooked onto a tractor trailer. Wow. What an event, huh? And just when you think life is hard enough, I have muscular dystrophy, I'm bound to a wheelchair... And you think it's hard enough, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you're hooked to a tractor trailer. On the front of it, and going down the road 50 miles an hour, wow, you talk about going from bad to worse. But thankfully, when the story ends, it ends in a really good way. And he was grateful for the whole thing. You know, I get thinking about... um, there are some choices we make in life that we suffer for and then there's other choices that we never make and we still end up suffering for them. Tragedies. And in our mind, obviously, we would never make those choices. We think that they're unfair. We'd say that they're hurtful. We'd say that they're painful. And the impact on us is for the rest of our lives. C.S. Lewis has said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. He goes on, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And it does get our attention, doesn't it? There's some biblical examples of pain. Um, Abraham and Sarah, the pain that they went through with their infertility uh, Noah went through a whole lot of pain, thank you, my dear, when he was mocked for 100 years while he built this ark. And then beyond him, um, think about Joseph and the pain that he went through when he was rejected by his siblings and sold into slavery and went to a foreign land. I mean, this is crazy pain. And then there's so many other examples like Job, and, and here he lost his children and he lost all of his wealth. He lost everything, just bam. And one day, and you imagine the pain that he went through. And then he went through severe physical pain with all the boils that were across his body. And, and Moses, who was separated as an infant from his mom and sent down the river and then was found that way. You know, you just think of all of the pain that we don't make decisions for. I never asked for this. I never would want this on myself. And some of you may be experiencing pain like that right now. I didn't ask for this. Like, do you really think I asked for this disease or for this job loss or for the way things are in my family? Do you really think I asked for that? I remember the day that um, we got something we never asked for. It was October 30th, 1997, and um, it was a no different day than any other day, and I never forget, 10.30 at night, and the phone rang, and it's not normal that people call us at 10.30, and so my wife and I knew something wasn't quite right, and it was in the early days of caller ID. Remember when you had to pay extra to have caller ID? Remember you had that little extra thing by, yeah, a lot of you people 20 and under like, I, what is he talking about? Well, Google it. It will be amazing. And I remember I came across a caller ID and it was, um, it was our mother-in-law's, my mother-in-law's phone number and I answered it and it was Lisa's brother. And he just had two words that changed our lives Forever. And he said, Dad died. And we were just rocked. And it was more than just rocked. I'll be honest, we were scared. I never felt so afraid in my life. I never felt like life is that fragile. I'd never, ever felt that way until that moment, and it was just like, I just kept wondering, like, who, who else could go if Dad could go that, that quickly and unexpectedly? It just completely blew us away. I'll never forget just not sleeping at all and just being terrified. And then even the next day and the day after, and and it still impacts us even today, that, that event, something we never would have chosen, never desired, and it rocked us. Chuck Swindoll says this about pain. He says, I've never read a poem extolling the virtues of pain nor seen a statue erected in its honor, nor heard a hymn dedicated to it. Pain is usually defined as unpleasantness. and Christians really don't know how to interpret pain and if you pin them against the wall in a dark secret moment, many Christians would probably admit pain may have been one of God's mistakes. He really should have worked a little harder and invented a better way of coping with the world's dangers and And he finishes, I'm convinced pain gets a bad press, though. Perhaps we should see statues and hymns and poems to pain. Why do I think that? He says, because up close, under the microscope, the pain network is seen in an entirely different light. It is perhaps the paragon of creative genius that changes us. And it does. So today, I just want to work through with you, if you're there, to Ruth um, chapter 1, here's how this whole thing worked out. And Ruth went through a tragedy and so also did her mother-in-law that they never would have asked for themselves. And here we are in Ruth chapter 1, and I just want to navigate through the first five verses together, and then we're going to quickly go through the comeback, and then I want us to see at the very end some understandings about God that can change our perspective whenever we go through pain. So here we are in Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read these verses for you, starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years... Both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Wow. Talk about crazy tragedy. And here we are in the middle of their crisis. We find Naomi's husband died. Within the next 10 years, her two sons died, and here's three widows, all on their own, all in a culture that looked down. On that situation, that looked less of women, that basically they had to fend for themselves, and and add to that, that the two daughters-in-law also suffered from infertility. There were no children at this point in time to help carry on the name, to help with a the livelihood. There was no money, and so here's what happened in a nutshell. Basically, um, Naomi mom and daughter-in-law, Ruth, ends up going back to Bethlehem. And I know that we're jumping over large sections, and here's why. I'm going to tell you why, because in a month we're going to, we're going to study the book of Ruth together. And I'm going to go into greater detail. So I can't tell you the whole story right now, or you may not come back in a month. And so Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem. It was during the time of the barley harvest and back in Bethlehem, they had nothing. They had nothing going for them, and they ended up, Naomi told Ruth, you know, basically what happens here in our culture, because Ruth was a Moabite, is what happens here is you go and you glean the fields and you pick up scraps, and that's how you live. So That's exactly what Ruth did. The Bible mentions it just so happened that she was gleaning in the field of Boaz, and let me tell you about Boaz. Boaz was a relative, and in that day, a relative could pick up Where the deceased husband left off at the kinsman redeemer, they could snatch the family, they could snatch whatever property and they would take over and basically what would would happen from there is, is the name of the deceased would be able to perpetuate and move on because someone stepped in and redeemed that family out of the tragedy and took them in, and that's, that was Boaz. He was a kinsman-redeemer figure in this ser- scenario. And little did Ruth know, she was in Boaz's field just by chance. And through a whole series of events that we're going to talk about in a month, Boaz and her find this out, because Naomi says, that's your nearest relative, he might be your kinsman-redeemer. And what ended up happening, well, let's read it. Go to chapter 4. Here's what happened. I'm going to give you the end of the story. Verse 13. And we're going to see from this, this transition in how God gave these comebacks to Ruth. So what happened? Verse 13 of chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he had made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life, sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you And who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth? Then Naomi took the child into her arms, cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So that's the end of the story. And I'm going to give you these three ways God gave a comeback. And then we need to see, so what is the big deal with God when we go through trials? What do we need to remember about God? So let me just give these to you. Grab your East Bay Weekly Look at the study guide on the back. Here's the three comebacks that God gave to Ruth. Number one, most obvious, Ruth went from widow to wife. Widow to wife. One of the most obvious benefits seen in Ruth and her comeback, she was a foreigner. She was once an idol worshiper. She was barren. She had not bore children at this time. She was a peasant, and she was a widow. Now, folks, here's the truth it couldn't get much lower than that in that day it couldn't get much lower who would want a woman like that who would want someone coming out of the situation and how would she ever be able to make a comeback in this and when God stepped into her situation and he had been there all along She went from widow to wife. Certainly her beginning was a lot different than the ending and God was in the whole thing. Here's number two that happened. She went from barren to bearing. Barren to bearing. The empty womb, after years of fruitlessness, which could have brought her scorn and mockery. Some may have even thought she was cursed and now she is with child. In fact, It is a boy, and look at verse 15. This is the coolest thing. I'm sorry, verse 13. It says, Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. She gave birth to a son. I'm going to tell you something. This is the funniest thing. In the Hebrew, this is 15 words. 15 words. Now, I know that there's been some discussion about who may have written this book of Ruth. But I know for sure that this is a man that wrote it. And I'm going to tell you why, because there is no one but a man that can tell of their wedding, their pregnancy, their honeymoon, and their birth in 15 words or less. (laughs) It's true. Bam, I met her, we got married, we went on a honeymoon, she became pregnant, we had a son. End of story. But she went from bearing or barren to bearing. This was such a crazy sign of God's blessing for her. She never thought that this would happen. And here's the third thing. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, went from bitter to blessed or bountiful. Naomi had... um, A name definition for her, and her name actually meant pleasant, and then there was a part of the story where she ended up saying, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter, because God has really dealt poorly with me. I went away full from Bethlehem to Moab, and now I've come back empty, she said. This is the way God handles things, she thought. at the very end this lady was so ecstatic she she couldn't even speak and she had been a primary speaker early on the book but once we get to verse 13 when all this blessing comes she couldn't even say a word what we see is all the women around her chanting and saying you're so blessed Naomi you have now a son to carry on the name and and You should name him Obed and all of this excitement. She can't even say a word because she's absolutely so blessed in how God pulled everything together. Now, we know the severity of our situation. Whenever we're going through a challenge, we know it's tough. We know what we feel like. No one needs to tell us, boy, you know, this must hurt. I don't need that information. We know that we're incapable of rescuing it all. But there's something that we need to be reminded of whenever we go through a tragedy, and I just want to give this to you. This is so significant, and this is the way we're going to end here this morning. There are some things about God, folks, that whenever we go through a situation, we've got to remember. I know our situations change. I know our challenges adjust, but here's the deal. God never changes. He's always the same. And whenever we go through challenges, we have to be able to hang on to these things. And I want to give you these things about God. They were true for Ruth. They've been true all the way through the scripture. And they're true for you and for me. So let me walk through these with you. This is so significant. And think about these in light of your own life as we look over the wide-angle lens of Ruth. Here's letter A. We know that God makes comebacks from catastrophes. We know he can do that, and we need to be remembered, reminded about these things whenever we go through it. Letter A, God is never closer to us than when he's working on us. Think about it. He's never closer to us than when he's working on us. God's like the master potter. And the Bible even mentions it, and we are the clay, and when you think about that clay adjusting, you know what makes it change, you know what makes its shape adjust is the fact that the hands of the potter are on it. And when we look at the life of Ruth, and we'll look more in depth in a month, here's the truth, her life changed dramatically, and oftentimes people think, if I'm going through a problem, it's because God is absent. God must not be around. Where is he when I'm going through a challenge? And here's what we need to remember. He's never closer to us than when he's got his hands on us, working us and molding us and shaping us. It's the truth. So the more your life changes, the more the challenge, it's all proof positive. God is closely working in your life to bring about his plan. You know, the stick is never closer to the whittler than when he's carving away at it. The patient never closer to the doctor when he's performing a procedure. The sheep than when the shepherd is shearing it. And so we we need to be reminded, even though we're going through a challenge, let's not have the thought of Naomi. God must be absent. God must be away from this. God just must be pouring out his his anger on me. And here's the truth of it He's never closer than when we're going through challenges. It's evident. When we look through this account, when we look to the very end, when we see the kinsman redeemer step on the scene, the provider for his mom and grandma, here's the whole deal. God was there all the way on through and he was never closer. That's number one. Here's number two. We need to be reminded of this with God. God knows what he's doing You with me on that? God knows what he's doing. Can you say that in your situation? Because I'll tell you the truth. I've thought many times that God screwed up. When we had our big challenge, I thought, you know what, God... What in the world are you doing? We had a scenario this week. I'm going to tell you that God knows what he's doing. and We'll talk a little bit more with Ruth. There's a situation this week um, where one of my girls, uh, she leaves her work early, early, early in the morning. She leaves about 5. And, um, and she went into work, and I got a text from her um, a little bit after 6.00. And, um, and I said, Dad, I'm going through intense migraines. Um, I may need you to pick me up from work. And, um, and so I said, okay, you know, just text her back. I'll be, I'll be here. You know, you just let me know whenever you need me to come get you. And so it was um, probably about quarter to seven. She says, I need to be picked up. And, um, and I remembered a few weeks ago, now, two weeks ago, she said, you know, my car is starting to make a noise. And, um, and that just kind of was in the back of my mind. I really didn't give a whole lot of thought to it. And so I went and I picked up our daughter from work and, and I brought her home. And she had, had horrible migraines. And, um, and it was causing her to be sick. And, and some of you have gone through this. And, we, and I brought her home and we, we plopped her in bed and tried to help her out as much as we could, and she was resting, and and I'm thinking, man, why in the world would this happen? Why would this have come right now? Why is she dealing with this right now? And um, later in the day, my wife and I had to go pick her car up from work and bring it back, and so it was in the evening, we made a little date of it, you know, you, you have seven kids, you just try to make dates whenever you can. So this was our date to go get her car, and so we went and picked up her car. I remember thinking in my head, she had said that there was a noise, a noise in the car. Well, I got in the car, and I'm telling you, folks, that was not just a noise. There was a war going on (laughs) in her car, and it was in the front driver's side wheel area. And I'm telling you, there was popping and cracking and screaming, and grinding, and all kinds of things, and I'm sure, you know, the best way to not hear it is every day you just turn the radio off a little bit louder, you know? I'm not going to hear this thing, whoop, you know? And, And I start driving that car home, and all of a sudden, I mean, that tire is doing one of the, the front tire. I'm like, that tire's coming off. And this is at 6 p.m. on South Airport Road. Do you know what that looks like at 6 p.m.? I'm thinking, if this tire comes off, there's going to be major problems. And my wife is following me, and she's wondering, what is he doing up there? And finally, I pulled over. I pulled over in the Verizon parking lot, and I, I turned the steering wheel, and I looked up, and I don't, you know, I don't know what I'm looking at. I just figured I'd look at stuff. Well, I looked in there, And there was this one part of the wheel, and there were parts coming out of it. And I surmised, that's not good. (laughs) And And I ended up, I called the wrecker, and he came over, and he literally grabbed my wheel and could move it back and forth. And he says, if this had gone any farther, that wheel was coming off. And then I got thinking, maybe God does know what he's doing. My daughter had come home with that thing, she, she wouldn't have come home. And who knows what would have happened. And then I got thinking with Ruth this week. Does God know what he's doing with Ruth? A widow, and her sister a widow, and... And mom-in-law, a widow, does he know what he's doing? I'm going to tell you, he knows what he's doing. In fact, he knew what he was doing before Ruth was even on the scene. Now, you remember on Mother's Day, if you were here a, a number of weeks ago, we talked about a woman named Rahab, the prostitute, from Jericho. And Rahab went to, back to Israel, and, and here she was, Her testimony was marred. She was a foreigner. She had nothing except her family, and they all went back to Israel. And the Bible says that a man stepped on the scene whose name was Salmon, and Salmon actually took Rahab in as his wife. Despite all of the wreckage, despite her reputation, all of that, Salmon took Rahab in as his wife. And then the Bible says they had a son. And that son's name, are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? That son's name was Boaz. Does that sound familiar? Salmon takes in a former prostitute and loves her and mainstreams her and they have a a great relationship and they have a son and his name is Boaz. And so I wonder what impact there, folks. Because guess what Boaz does? He takes in a foreigner. He takes in someone who had nothing. He takes in someone who was barren. What's her reputation now? And a widow, and, and here's Boaz takes her in while she's gleaning in the field. And it says, you know what? God must know what in the world he's doing. That was a part of of his dad's DNA, part of his dad's nature. And here's Boaz, who learned so much from the scenario. And he did the very same thing with Ruth. I need to give you this third one, because we need to keep moving. Not only does God show that he's close to us when he's working on us, not only does God know what he's doing, and he certainly does, and he knew all the way through Ruth's life, Here's number three, and um, this is so significant. God has a lot writing on your trial. He does. God has a lot writing on your trial. And, and some of us might think, what? This is my trial. I've got a lot writing on this. Well, you know what? God has something even more writing on it. And there's two things that He has writing on it, and we get to talk about this in depth in a month. But two big things he's got writing on it. Number one, his character is riding on your trial. And Naomi's initial response is, look, look at this verse here with me. Naomi's initial response was negative about God. And in chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, here's what she says. It's the Almighty's fault. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full and I came back empty in fact he brought me back empty don't call me Naomi the Lord has afflicted me the Almighty has brought misfortune on me here she's saying about God's character look at the way God has done this look at his character look how mean he's been to me look what he's done to me and it's a character assault on God and then in the very end Here's one thing God's got riding on your trial. Look at his reputation. Look at God's character when it comes right to the very end. Naomi finds out that Ruth is gleaning in the field of Boaz, their close relative, in chapter 2, verse 20. Here's what she says. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, here's her statement about God now. He has not stopped. Showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Here's basically what Naomi said. <clears throat> you know what? I said God was mean. I was wrong. He hasn't stopped. He's always been good. He never stopped being good. And He's been good now in the situation. I can see it opening up, I can see it coming to mind. And here, God's character is riding on your trial. Count on Him. To pull through. Count on him to show his character through your situation. And then here's number two. His purposes are riding on your trial. And this is where we're going to finish up here today. His purposes are riding on your trial. We need to remember that our pain is never without his purpose. God meddles in our lives and he does so for a reason. God tampers with our schedule, with our health, with our family, with our church, with our finances, with our very lives, and he does so with a purpose, and his purpose is always right. I love this. If you're in chapter 4 of Ruth, look at what happens. Naomi took the child in her arms, cared for him, the woman... The women living there said, Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. And if you're looking at this here, he was a grandpa of King David. Isn't that cool? God's got a purpose. And I'm sure Ruth and Naomi, they're like, what? Teenagers today say, shut up. Are you kidding me? God did what? He took me out of Moab. My husband away. And now I'm the great grandma of King David. You got kind of kidding me? And then it's even bigger than that. Because when we go to Matthew chapter 1, there's Ruth's name. And here it is in verse 16. She's in this lineage all the way up to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary... And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. That's crazy. Little did Ruth know that her catastrophe would turn into the greatest comeback of all. That she would be included in the lineage of the Messiah on the side of Joseph. You know, she looked at it and said, oh, Here's my little problem, and it's a big one to her. And God says, Well, wait until you see my big purpose. Because through this loss and through your relocation, you know what I'm going to do? You're going to be in the lineage of David. You are going to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ, who will come and redeem the world. And your kinsman redeemer, he was good. Wait till you see this Redeemer to come. He's the one that's going to do it. And he took her catastrophe and he turned it into an amazing comeback. Folks, God takes catastrophes and he makes comebacks. God's plan was bigger than she could ever imagine. And here we are, 3,000 years removed From Ruth. And we are connected to her in that purpose of Him bringing Messiah to come and redeem us from our sin when He died for us on the cross. Isn't that cool? I want to say that again. Isn't that cool? It is cool. God knows what He's doing. He knows what he's doing in your situation. And we need to trust him. We need to let God be God. So I have this whole theology. When you're going through a trial, let God be God. When your situation continues and persists, let God be God. And then when you don't even understand your situation, I've got this really neat idea. Let God be God. He knows what he's doing. Trust him. He's really close when your life is being adjusted. He's never closer. Trust him. And I can't think of a better thing that we could do right now since we're all connected to Ruth through the main Redeemer that came thousand years after her that we remember his grand purpose by celebrating the lord's table together and that's what we're going to do we're going to do it right now we're going to celebrate the redeemer jesus christ who died on the cross for our sin and so here's how this works folks if you believe with all your heart that jesus christ died he is your forgiver And leader, because of his death on the cross. We need to remember this together. And and the guys are going to come in just a moment and they're going to distribute the, the bread and then after that, the cup. This is our time to celebrate that Redeemer. Celebrate his grand plan of redemption, even through catastrophe. And remember, he has a plan for your problem, too. So come on forward, you guys. What we're going to do, if you know for sure that you're forgiven, that Jesus Christ is your redeemer and leader, just um, when the plate comes by, just grab that that cracker, hold on to it, and we're going to remember together at the end. Now, if you don't know where you're at with Jesus, then you don't have to take this. You can let it pass, but let's talk about it later because you need to know Jesus as your forgiver and as your leader. Let's uh, grab this and then we'll celebrate together in just a moment. Let's celebrate what Jesus has done. The writer of Isaiah says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace with God was on him. Folks, were healed. We're healed by his stripes. Isn't that great news? Healed by his stripes. Let's take and remember his goodness to us as we take. 1 Peter says, For you know, it was not with perishable things like silver and gold that you were redeemed. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so we say, praise God, our Redeemer came too. And we thank Him for His forgiveness and for this relationship. Let's take and remember Him together. Hey, church, let's stand together. Let's thank Jesus for what he's done. Father, we do, we say thank you for this great gift, for your goodness, your forgiveness, and even the reality that we know, we just need to settle on it. We know. God, you know what you're doing. You have a plan. Even through our pain, you have purpose. uh, Forgive us, Lord, when we play God. Forgive us when we control. And God, help us just to yield and to trust. And with gratitude, remember that you never screw up, you never have, you never will. And you do what's good. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. All of East Bay Calvary said, Amen.